welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. We are Take the Black, and I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with Corey Smith, Corey Phone, and Isis, and our special guest, Sarah Weems, a Winter is Coming contributor. You may have read some of her hilarious recaps. If you haven't, I suggest you get over there, look her up, and start reading it. It's awesome. Sarah, say hello to everybody out there, and... Um, if you want some stalkers, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. <laughs> I'm uh, at Juicy Capucci. But, it's uh, I named it after my bottom. <laughs> she <laughs> named it after her bottom. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, let's it's a, a nickname a drunk guy gave my bottom once, so I thought, yeah. Hey, listen, those are sometimes – those are the best – Absolute best compliments and nicknames. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the good stuff. Last night was The Queen's Justice, Episode 3 of Game of Thrones Season 7. It kind of feels like we're just going through this so fast now that I'm almost scared for the next episode because we know something big is about to happen. And um, Sarah, since you're new to the podcast, let me ask you, what were your first thoughts last night as we started with Dragonstone? And I know your personal favorite character, Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love Danny so incredibly much. I don't abuse her at every chance I get at all. <laughs> um, I, 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 see, I obviously I'm not a big fan of Daenerys, so I found it incredibly frustrating because she was just you know, bow to me, kneel for me, and he won't call me the queen, even though I do have to point out he did refer to her as your grace almost as soon as he walked in. True. So it was, I mean, I was a bit underwhelmed by the meeting because I've never been excited for her to meet Jon Snow anyway, but I was just incredibly frustrated the entire way through because she was just making speeches about her birthright and not really giving Jon any... I don't know, tangible reason for him to have faith in her as a ruler. She was just talking about, you know, herself. Oh, I was born on Dragonstone, and I have faith in me, and I have dragons. And she didn't really talk about what she's accomplished. Yeah. Which I feel like... She had no resume, basically. Yeah, I mean, if you compare that to the way Cersei was dealing with the Iron Bank, which was with some acumen and some knowledge, I just felt that she sounded quite childish. And John did kind of call her a child a little bit. He kind of he kind of alluded to the fact that she was a child. They were all children. Yeah, and she immediately reacted like a child. Oh, he exactly. called me a child. You know. How dare he? But yeah, exactly. Before we got to the throne room in Dragonstone, Corey Smith, you want to talk about? And I think this is kind of a cool little nod to the fans out there. Um, John Snow's walking. He, he he met Tyrion on the beach. It was kind of a nice, you know, the bastard of Winterfell. The 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 dwarf of House Lannister or whatever they called each other and they they're walking up the, the uh, seawall and uh, John says his people think he's he's crazy because the last Stark to come to meet the Targaryen got burned and boom it's a it's a Top Gun buzz flyover from Drogon what do you think about that yeah it was like hey I'm not a Stark and like could they have foreshadowed his secret heritage any stronger with the giant dragon flying over us immediately, you know, when well, he says, I'm not a Stark. Last episode, uh, Bronjian Royce goes, you can never trust a Stark. And right. then this episode, and it, and it pans right to John. And then this episode, John's like, 
you know, I'm not a Stark. Boom, here comes Drogon. Yeah, and then, you know, and we get it a little later back in the throne room, too, when, when Danny says, I'm the last Targaryen, blah, blah, blah. So they're definitely throwing, you know, that out there quite a bit. But, um, I mean, I like the scene, you know, John's walking along. Next thing you know, giant dragon flies overhead, and he hits the deck, and Sandy kind of smirks at him, and Tyrion kind of laughs, and is like, you know, you get used to it or whatever, but not really. And John's like, oh, shit. And I don't know if it was me, but Davos kind of, when he saw the dragons, he, it seemed like Davos was like, not envy, but he was just like, all right, look, those are dragons. We could really use some dragons. <laughs> hey, you know and what they kills had... whites? Dragon fire. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Wait, what? <gasps> yeah. Fire melts ice unless, you know, you're announcing the premiere date for season seven. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was a cool little, little scene before we got to, obviously, what was the, you know, the main event of John and Danny meeting for the first time. Corey Thone, what did you think about Masande rattling off all the titles of Daenerys and then Davos just looks at John and goes, this is Jon Snow. He's the king in the north. <laughs> That's basically it. I think I, it goes, I laugh it goes for a good five to, minutes. It goes back to what <laughs> we kind of talked about last week with the difference between uh, families and the difference between uh, however you want to say the way they were raised, upbringing, I guess. So Danny, actually, very similarly to John, was not the necessary part of their family. Mm-hmm. And so there is that parallel that she, you know, uh, her brother was supposed to be the the ruler, and then she was going to be used as basically bartering tool. And John was a bastard that was eventually sent to the north, right to the wall. So there is a bit of a similarity there, but then it instantly flips whenever Danny gets power way earlier in life than John did. Mm-hmm. And she's also been really removed from um, Westeros and removed from. I don't know how to else to describe them except like these they, these people that they all kind of remind me of like rust belt workers. They're like oh, nobody gives a shit, man. Put on your hard hat to work, right? Like <laughs> like uh, those titles mean something to her. They mean something to people that aren't used to having such interaction. I guess with lords, kings, queens, whatever. And she's earned. She has earned most of those titles, but they mean nothing to people in Westeros and it's another it's a really it's a, a glaring example of how she doesn't quite understand what she's walking into who she's walking into it with and the way that like the smart people around her like Tyrion and uh soon to be Jorah and other people but like Varys and stuff they have very much shielded her from uh, I, I don't know the right word other than optics of yeah. like what like Tyrion Convincing her to not send the Dothraki to King's Landing was something she would have never thought of because in her mind, Dothraki are just her soldiers. But I don't know. She just doesn't quite grasp the political maneuverings of Westeros over the top. It was. And it's it's something that we've made fun of on this show. And I think that they clearly that was a little bit of fan service because I'm sure every podcast has made fun of how many titles Danny has. Mm-hmm. And. Of course, every think piece makes fun of it too, right? So the show made fun of it right there, and it just kind of went to highlight how totally different their approach to 
ruling is. Danny feels like she's she would be a great ruler because she does all these good things, and it's also her birthright. And John wants nothing to do with it, but he keeps getting put in those positions, and he's pretty good at it. So it's just – I don't know. It was a good way to highlight the difference between the two of them. I like how um, there were a few scenes here at Dragonstone that really kind of stole the episode basically from for me uh, and Isis. I'll get to you here in a second. Uh, there, you know, you had the one where Tyrion is talking to John and he's like, "I wanted to come up here and brood, but nobody broods better than you." That was a nice little inside joke. I'm I'm failing at brooding over failing. That was pretty good. And then, um, you know. Every time they looked at Tyrion, he had a smirk on his face like, yeah, she's for real. That's right. She's got three full-blown dragons. And, yeah, those Dothraki, they're pretty big too. Uh, Isis, what did you think about the exchange of I, – I don't know. The best way I can put it is what um, Melisandre said to Varys. She brought ice and fire together. So they were exchanging some pretty big power lines together. What did you think about that? Well, first, I just want to address one thing. I felt uh, it was really cool that Tyrion did ask about Sansa. And, yeah. um, you know, he, yes. he it was it was very cute the way he wanted to make sure that John knew that that marriage was never consummated. He goes, I didn't <laughs> you know, ask. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was just it was one. Of, I, I think I, I cackled when that happened because to me it was just so funny and i don't know if it was purposely funny but it was funny to me um so when that happened i was just like i love it i i love every second of that um i also wanted to just say real quick i felt like Tyrion was really kind of dancing on eggshells when john and danny uh were together like he wanted to kind of grease the wheels um between the two but it was really out of his hands and it was something very similar that happened between when uh Danny was talking to Varys last week and he was trying to kind of like smooth things over but you know Danny and and Varys were kind of going back at you know back and forth with each other and I'm feeling right. like that you know <laughs> I feel like Tyrion thinks that he can be the one to kind of the mold yeah, the buffer or whatever, but he 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 is not the buffer, and he is rapidly losing, um, you know, kind of control over this situation as the hits keep on coming for Danny. So I just wanted to address that really quick, and um, yeah, varies. I thought it was awesome that he totally called out uh, Melisandre. But then she called him right him. back. She called him out right back. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, these two people obviously know. You know enough about if you, um, enough about each other to call each other out, and I absolutely love that the fact that you know they're they're going at each other. Um, but I just I thought it was so awesome the way he just kind of like oh you're up here I you know found it odd that you were you know and, and again the guy who plays Varys is just amazing and I love him he's one of my favorite characters. Um, I really did love the fact that you know varies was definitely not backing down from her um and he's never liked those red women anyway so uh, to <laughs> me damn red women those damn red women you know and and basically called her out like you know you're you're a complication you know um and i i just really enjoyed the fact that varies kind of uh went after her davos on the other hand to me he really kind of epitomized that whole scene he was like you know uh, excuse the accent, you know, I'm just a 
I'm just from Flea Bottom or whatever. He but always I, does that. He always self-deprecates he, before he brings in a big point. That's all Davos does. He, and he does, and he brought in excellent points, excellent points that I felt like Tyrion should have been advocating. But here is Davos freaking saving the freaking day, and Jon Snow being, you know, granted we keep on saying that, you know, Jon Snow is pushed into the situation, but Jon Snow at this point should understand how, like, I understand that we're in season seven and we are, you know, trying to go through, uh, you know, this quick transport between places you know he was at winterfeld now he's he's here with danny and everything but during that boat ride dude did you not have a fucking sales pitch already lined up like <laughs> like seriously like the last he doesn't talk to pitch. sansa you think he's gonna talk to davos come on this guy's a brooder i, I he doesn't even have to talk to anybody he can talk to himself does it sound does this sound like somebody you want to you know is my sales pitch good enough to where I can get what I want? You know what I mean? It was. It, I mean, you know, that's the that's the end goal. And I'm not saying that he has to be a smooth talker like Tyrion because Tyrion is his own thing. But damn it, man! If you're going to ask somebody for something, you better have some. You know, a little. And here's the thing, though. John was raised by Ned Stark, and for all practical intents and purposes, he is Ned Stark's son. And Ned would never, ever Ned Ned never minced words. He came right at you, and that's maybe what got him his got his head cut off. But he came right at you all the time with how he's thinking, and that's how John does. And Corey Smith, I want to ask you a question. I know you're dying to get in on this one, but um, how did how did you feel? About John surrendering the swords, like the northern people surrendering over to the Dothraki, without, without even so much as basically a backwards look. Uh, and and then I don't know what this what the deal is with this season, but it seems like anybody new has guy liner on, like that 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 one Dothraki guy who came and took John's sword, <laughs> rocking the guy liner pretty hard. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm actually. Uh, right in the middle of working on the screen recap for for Wick, and I just wrote those scenes out. And yeah, that Dothraki guy got some mad eyeliner on the bottom and the top of the eyes, just all of them. And it's like, what's going on here? Uh, I don't, I don't think it was. You know, I think John probably knew he was going to have to give up his weapons. You know, I mean, I don't think he thought, oh yeah, I'm just going to roll up into the throne room with all my swords and everything on. I think his men were probably a little more... You, you caught the one shot out of the guy kind of giving the Dothraki the side eye, um, you know, when he gave up his sword. But I don't think John expected to go into the throne room, you know, wearing all his stuff. So I don't think it was that surprising. I think he, he knew it was coming. Before we leave this scene, I have to ask you, Sarah, I know you're a huge Sansa Stark. Uh, you're in love with Sansa and Arya, and that those are your yes. characters. Let me ask yeah. you, when John and, and Tyrion were talking about Sansa walking up the seawall and he basically says, I didn't ask about – and then and then he says she's, she's starting to become smarter or starting to show her, herself smarter. Did you notice the heart emojis in his eyes? Did you notice that he's starting to like really get <laughs> puppy sick love over her? Well, I had heart emojis in my eyes. <laughs> Um, I mean, personally, I, th- I think maybe uh, the reason Tyrion tried to buffer John straight away and say, you know, I never consummated the marriage is because he's heard that John's been body slamming people into walls. <laughs> uh, but no, that that made me very happy because Sansa is always so underestimated, and so for Tyrion to say to John, you know, she's she's a smart cookie, and then for John to 
tell him, well, you know, she's starting to show it. As much as she's been irritating John, um, it's nice that Tyrion appreciates the fact that she's found agency and she has a, a voice now. Tyrion has always really respected Sansa, um, which is why it really confuses me when there are people who dislike her, who say, oh, well, she didn't want to sleep with Tyrion or whatever. She's horrible. But Tyrion never resented her for her behavior during the marriage. So I'm really hoping to see that come more to fruition later on, either in this season or next season, when Tyrion eventually meets Sansa again, because I think potentially they could be really, really good allies. I agree, and we will definitely get back to more Sansa because she had a really good episode this uh, yes. this episode. But Corey Phone, um, mm. we fished Theon out of the water uh, this episode, um, and basically the Ironborn handled him the Ironborn way. Oh, what's that? You got PTSD? Fuck you! And they and they kind of walked off. Uh, how do you think Theon's going to handle? Telling Danny what's going to happen when he when he, when he does return to Dragonstone. Um, I'm sure he'll do it by looking down a bunch and mumbling. <laughs> I really don't know what he's going to do. He might have an idea for like rescuing Yara or something. I, honestly, I'm not going to pretend to have any notion. You might want to go to someone else on this one of what Theon's going to do because I honestly was like, ah, I hope he drowns. Like, let's just get that done. <laughs> Let's let's just get him out of the way. I feel like it would have been it would have been nice to like if he was gonna. I mean, obviously, I guess there's a chance for the Reek Redemption hashtag Reek Redemption. But I <laughs> I don't. I mean, if it comes, great. If not, I I truly don't care that much. Uh, he's been a really great character, but his shtick is getting old to me. So. I, I mean, you might want to go to someone else. Sarah, you've got some strong opinions about Theon and his PTSD. And can we get that hashtag trending, by the way, Reek Redemption? I think that's a really good hashtag. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've actually long had an opinion about Theon that he is the true Ironborn. Because the words of House Greyjoy being, what is dead may never die. Theon died back in Season 3, technically, mm-hmm. when Ramsay, you know, stripped away layers of his his persona stripped away parts of his body and he's only just starting to come out of that reek persona that was created for him. And I think with the Greyjoys being a seafaring nation and the drowned God being the drowned God, I think as part of that path towards becoming the true ironborn and rising again, harder and stronger, I think he needed to have a moment at sea, a drowning moment as such. And obviously he, he didn't drown. He was pulled from the border, but he did jump ship. He did abandon his sister. So what I foresee for Theon hmm. is to simply follow that path. I think he, he is going to muster up some bravery from somewhere. I think he is going to try to rescue his sister. And I think Yara is alive for that reason, because if if that wasn't going to be the way for Theon, I feel she would have just died. So I think there's definitely more to him. And as I said, I think... The house words of, of House Greyjoy pertain to him more than anybody else because as far as I'm I'm concerned, he has already died. He is now in the process of rising again, but that's not a straight path because he's so broken. That's a really good point. Um I hadn't thought of it that way, and now that's all I can think of. Wow, nice point. Um Thanks. let's let's move now to the next Greyjoy uh that we saw, and it's uh Euron Greyjoy leading his captives through King's Landing. And we all kind of saw this coming, right? We all kind of saw that um, it would be 
you know, the Sand Snakes, Ilaria, and Tyene, and then Yara was in tow, and he kind of said something to Yara, which kind of bothered me, which made me think the worst. He said, all this adoration basically made him hard, and I was thinking, oh, please, Jesus God, let this not be happening to Yara. So, like, uh, Isis, are you back on the call? Yes, I'm back. Awesome. So, welcome back, Isis. We're talking about, um... Euron parading through King's Landing with his gifts, and I, I, I noticed that he told his niece, Yara, and we talked about this the last podcast, God knows what he's going to do to her now that he's got her captive, but he said that uh, all the applauding for a great joy made him hard, and my mind instantly went to, please God, don't let anything be bad happening to Yara. What, what did you th- take from that moment? Yeah, I, I definitely felt that way, um, but I felt like you know, if he did anything to her, and he could possibly do that, um, it would be a definitely just kind of like I have power over her. But that would not give him what he really wants. What he really wants at the end of the day is he wants Cersei. And he wants the power that she has around her to, to get that, to get a piece of that. Um, and and I and I have a love hate relationship with Euron. Of course, if he does touch Yara, I, the, it'll be just hate hate. Um, but I found uh, hilarious. And again, another point that made me just laugh out loud was when Euron was asking for sex tips from Jamie, <laughs> and I was uh, about Cersei, and I I died laughing. Like I, my husband came into the room and was like. What are you laughing about? And I'm like, you'll see it later because we don't watch it together. Um, so I, I was like, you'll see it later. You'll you you'll laugh too. And and that's who at the end of the day, that's who can give him that stiffy. Is going to be the. <laughs> and I'm just being honest. Power. But, I mean, power the, the, the power. Stiffy. The the power that he can attain from being close to Cersei to to, you know, because I don't think being. Um, part of her army is going to really do it for him. Yeah, no. did you notice the look on his face when she said, you can have what you want when the war is over? When the war oh, is over? Yes. He oh, yes. Oh, yes. And he was like, okay, checkbox. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this one open. You know, we're going to put a pin on this, and we'll have this conversation again. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was not happy that he didn't get exactly what he wanted at that moment. Um, but at the same time, he's, he's not a guy who is not he, – he is a very patient person, and he is willing to wait. Now, while he's waiting, will he do something to Yara? I, I can't say that he wouldn't do something just for the mere fact that, you know, it's, he's it's a, a sadistic power son thing. of a bitch. He is. He is absolutely sadistic, but you, you can't stop watching him. And, and he's almost in the pantheon of, like, uh, I want to say of Ramsey and um, – uh, and that other little fucker. Um, Joffrey? Joffrey. Joffrey, yeah. He's going to have Joffrey. to do a few more awful things on screen for me to put him up there with Ramsey. Hey, I think if he messes with Yara, I think he'll be there. Yes. I, I definitely I agree. think. Yeah, if he does something to Yara, then bam, there he is. There's our, our super villain for, for season seven. Uh, even though, you know, Cersei is the, the big villain of them all. But You think Euron's uh, going to make it to season seven? Really? <laughs> I don't personally. You don't think he's going to make it to the end? No, this was to, his to point last podcast. He thinks no, he's gone this I, season. I think he's gone this season, and that's why he bores me. And not that he's not entertaining as a prancing pirate villain or whatever, but 
to me, he's just a, a placeholder villain. Someone else to take up the mantle of, you know, the, the bad guy. You have Cersei, who's the evil queen, and, and now you've got Euron, who's the, the big intimidating guy. But I just, I don't think he's going to be a factor outside of this season. I think he's going to go down before the season's over. But He needs his own theme song, like... <laughs> He, <laughs> who is the best captain of the 14 seas? You're Ron Greyjoy. I think that would be a great song. Mm. Hey, David, I know that you're hosting, but you got to go to the corner you. for like five minutes. I need you to take a chill pill. All right. We'll, just, we'll talk amongst ourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm a little of a clam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to derail ISIS's point either. I was just kind of surprised. I, I didn't I – I don't really know if um, – you can't bring a guy back from from one season being boring, uh, basically cardboard cut out of a villain, to being over the top caricature of a villain, and not have something bad happen to him. I mean, it's just like I I fully expect Grey Worm to die in the next episode because I just I feel like he's had his moment. He's he's been with Masande. He won a good battle at at Casterly Rock, and now he's gonna die. Like good things don't happen to people <laughs> on the show, and the well, same thing goes for villains. When villains get over the top, and they get really crazy over the top, and they start winning a lot of things, something's gonna happen to that villain. Euron is the season five Nazis from Breaking Bad. Like <laughs> after after they had. After they had the awesome Gus Fring storyline and that came to its amazing conclusion, hey, they were FYI, like, oh, some of us haven't seen the show. I oh, don't feel you know what? There's no the spoilers for Breaking Bad. You lost that. You lost that ability. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Walter White is uh, Snoke. But no, there's <laughs> – I... He's Plagueis. <laughs> yeah, he is. No, no. Think about it now. Just real quick. Euron is just like those Nazis in season five because they got done with the badass multiple season arc of Gus Fring, or in this case, Ramsey Bolton. They got rid of him, and they were like, all right, we have a limited amount of time. We need somebody to be a crazy prick. Let's just, uh, I don't know, let's make some Nazis, right? Everybody hates Nazis, and that's who <laughs> Walt and Jesse can uh, deal with this season. And so now they're like, all right, well, we'll just make Euron, like, what if Captain Jack Sparrow was into meth and steroids? And that was kind of <laughs> where they went. So, And what if he dressed, what did, what did she say, what if he dressed like a rejected member of the Killers? So, yeah, it's um, <laughs> basically, that's where they're at. I don't think he's got long for this earth, but he's going to have some badass speeches and fight scenes because that he has been great this season. I'm just, for me, it's kind of like, oh, can we get to the part where he's gone and Ironic. the White Walkers are here? Ironic. So, yes. All right. Anyway, sorry. I didn't no, uh, that. Corey Smith, let's let's move to the dungeon where I know you like it so well. Um, Cersei got her revenge on uh, Laria by by kissing Tyene, the same poison that killed Marcella. We all saw this coming, and if you paid attention to spoilers, you knew this was coming. So, how did you think the scene unfolded? Did it? Did it, I think actually, in my opinion, before you give your opinion, I really liked it. I think this was the best. Sand Snake performance of the entire series, in my opinion, because they were it was raw, it was emotional, they were scared for each other, and but but right at the end, Tyene had to say "Mama" just one more goddamn time. But uh, I was gonna say the the main reason you probably thought it was their best performance is because they're gagged and they couldn't talk. 
<laughs> damn. I mean, right? There are dialogues Next always been. Their dialogues always been fucking atrocious. So I mean, and, like, I don't see how. I mean, that's probably part of it. But I mean, you know, backing it up just to, you know, you get her down in that dungeon. You know that they're not leaving the dungeon. You know, one way or another, Cersei's going to kill him, and you know, you just don't know how. When I watched it the first time, I didn't necessarily catch it, but the second time through, I know you could notice that Cersei's lips are kind of a uh, different shade than they normally are, mm-hmm. um, and so I caught that the second time through um, when I watched it. And so, yeah, I mean, the kiss makes total sense because that's how they did Marcella, and so it makes sense Cersei would do it the same way, but. You know, Lena Headey in that scene just, I mean, she fucking nailed it, the whole scene. Because she went from, she she had, you know, the fury of confronting her daughter's killers. She had that one moment of, you know, like vulnerability where she's like, why did you kill Marcella? Like she, you know, she was good and all that. And you could see that it really hurt Cersei, Marcella's death, as opposed to, like, say, Joffrey or, or you know, later Tommen, like she, she really was kind of like, I don't understand why you would kill Marcella. She was sweet and she was innocent. She didn't mm-hmm. do anything to anybody. So I thought, uh, Lena Haiti just, just killed that scene. And yeah. And then when she kind of, she gave the kiss, I was like, damn, that is freaking cold. And just going to let Ilaria sit there and watch her daughter's body rot away, which I thought was a nice callback to, you know, that that was Cersei's worst kind of thought about Marcella's death when you know when Jamie brings Marcella back and see at the beginning of season six, Cersei's sitting there and she says she can't help but think of Marcella's body rotting away and her lips curling back and her body mm-hmm. you know her rotting face sinking in yeah exactly and so I thought that that was kind of a she used the kiss which was the what. How, what, how they killed Marcella, but then Cersei was also projecting kind of her own worst nightmare on Ilaria, you know, watching your daughter's body right away. So I, I loved the entire scene. I loved every single thing about that, but of course, especially that the Sand Snakes were gagged. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I just wanted to state that I felt like that was um, the first time that Cersei showed some true vulnerability uh, to yes. an enemy because yes. she never does that. I mean, she'll she'll show some, you know, uh, vulnerability when it comes to, um, you know, her with, with her brother, lover, whatever, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But never does she show that kind of type of vulnerability to an enemy. Um, but they they do have both something in common: the fact that they're both mothers, and and she is using that to exploit. Um, what you know, Alaria's uh, worst nightmare um, is basically is that to, to watch your own child die in front of you, and then to watch them decay and and all those things. So uh, definitely was there was a whole lot of uh, playing with Alaria's emotions and stuff like that. But she did show a little bit of vulnerability, um, which you know I, I thought because this episode was so dialogue driven. Uh, not a, I mean, there was a couple of action scenes, but it was mostly dialogue-driven. Dr- uh, the action sequence between the the you know Sand Snake uh, and and her mother uh, when they're you know chained up and they're trying to to reach each other and comfort each other was absolutely 
you know, incredible as far as, like, they didn't say anything, but those actions uh, really kind of play into your, you know, the soft spot in your heart. Um, and then, of course, you know, right after that, they give us Jamie and freaking Cersei, yeah. you know. That's, oh, this that is the question I want, to bring up to, I want to bring up to the panel is, uh, okay, we got Cersei coming straight in from giving the poison kiss to Tyene. Uh, did that poison carry over to Jamie? Probably not, but that was a big question on Twitter last night. Um, did she poison Jamie? And if she did, was it accidental? Um, secondly, this is the first time they've had sex, uh, that I can remember since forever, right? So, on the show. So, did we get a pregnant Cersei out of this? Betty? I don't know. She went down on him. She sure did, and did she slip a finger in his bum? It looked like she slipped a finger in his bum. Can I just say that if I was Jamie and I was aware of what she'd done to Ilaria, I wouldn't want that mouth anywhere near my dick. <laughs> this is true. It would fall She's off. Sarah's, Sarah's <laughs> got a point. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, she was down in the dungeon, and she, you know, they made it a point to show that she was wiping her mouth um, with, like, some type of napkin. I don't know if that's the appropriate cleaning utensil for, you know, having poison on your lips or whatever. Um, but maybe to be on the safe side, she was like, I'm just going to give you a blowy instead of, you know, kissing you. You know, anyway, um, but I, I just felt like Jamie was because at, at one point he's kind of like, look, don't do that. Don't do that and everything. And I'm like, at first I was like, yes, Jamie is going to reject Cersei. Finally, he's going to freaking grow a pair. And and he didn't because then he just freaking, you know, falls in, uh, you know, line. Something with, grew. Yeah. Well, girl. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> something in his pants grew. Well, Cersei um, had a murder boner. So but there's that. Well, it, maybe, it, yeah. maybe you know how in like most TV shows, um, when there's sex scenes, they never show the awkward bit where somebody has to put a condom on or take birth <laughs> control. Maybe she just gave him some antidote, like take this just in case. Yeah, maybe, True. and and let's hope for that because I seriously do not. I don't know at this point what a pregnant Cersei would really add to the storyline, especially since we're trying to, you know, expedite the story so we can go ahead and get to the White Walkers. I got a I couple really ideas. Don't... I'm sorry? I got a couple ideas along that, that line of thinking. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, th- that was something that for me, I don't, I don't see the use, the usefulness of, of her being pregnant and then of children. The... I don't either, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just wanted to say that that lady, um, who, Knocked on the door after Cersei, you know, and Jamie already did their bit or whatever. Um, and he was like, yeah, yes, yes, thank you. I, I didn't notice this until somebody else tweeted it. Um, it was uh, Mark. I don't know your Twitter handle. Anyway, um, and he said it was the uh, Cersei's cruelest vengeance is making everyone in the castle get the Cersei. And I just died <laughs> because I didn't notice it at the time until I saw the picture. And it was so awesome that everybody has that short, short cropped hair and everything. Um, She's so. establishing a personal brand. Yep. It's, absolutely. It's all about marketing in today's Westeros. <laughs> Corey Smith, I know you've got something to say. Um, shocking. No, really. Yeah, shocking. <laughs> no, I just thought – I caught the – I don't know if this is reading too much into it, but in the books they talk about how the Mag they've, – they've kind of had this Mag King parallel with Cersei going on as the Mag Queen. You know, she blew up the Sept. The Mag Queen – the Mag King liked to burn everybody. But also in the books, the Mag King always got turned on 
and uh, wanted to have sex after he murdered someone. Yeah, he so, got mu- murder boners. Yeah, I don't yeah know exactly. About. So yeah. I don't know if that, I, that kind of struck me in the scene. And then also afterwards, you know, they're laying in bed and Cersei's like sleeping like a, you know, a baby. And Jamie's just like awake in bed, you know, staring at him like, you know, he's Freddie Prince Jr. or something. And it's just like, dude. Like what is wrong with this guy? He's he just was like, caught oh, I... in a post-coital trance. Yeah, yeah, Cersei's sleeping it off, like happy she got laid and she got to murder people. And Jamie's like, "Oh, I love you so much." And it's just like, dude, I don't know. I, that part of it kind of drew me out of the scene, but I mean, I guess you know maybe they're just trying to illustrate how much Jamie loves Cersei, and Cersei just kind of uses him as a means to an end. So I don't. Well, know. I I just want to say one thing, Corey Smith. Do you live in the early 2000s? Because you just yes. made a Freddie Prince Jr. freaking <laughs> reference. Like, what the fuck? I'm thinking that movie where he's that like was like that was like 20, 17 years ago, man. <laughs> Let it go. I'm a child of the you know late 90s, early 2000s. What can I say? I mean, I'm just saying. I I, I get where Smith is coming from because when you look at the way that Jamie was looking at Cersei, it was like, yeah, she's all that. So. Oh, 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 God. Oh. I hate you. I hate you Corey so much. See, Corey. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but the next scene we got, uh, Mycroft Holmes showed up to collect on the Iron Banks. Uh, and that's a Sherlock Holmes joke in case you guys didn't catch it. Yeah, can I ask a question about that guy's face? Yeah. What is up with that? Like, it is a not normal looking fella. Like, did he, no one else catch, like, how he's, like, bug-eyed and strange and always intrigued by something just under Cersei's face? Like, but not her <laughs> chest. Like, it's, like, her, her throat. He's, like, staring at nothing. Like, that dude's off-putting as crap. And in the in the preview for the next episode, like, when she's talking to him, I just I paused the screen on his face. I was like, what is up with your face? Has no one else noticed this dude's face? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It is not normal. He's Fine, always got so the well. raised eyebrows and the kind of smirk like he's smarter than you are and that he's always surprised by what you're saying. That's what that's I what guess. his look is. Uh but um let's let's get away well, from King's Landing. Wait a minute. What? First of all, I have to say that at that moment when he uh Cersei's like, "Oh, I'm going to get you your money. You know, no problem. I'm going to get your money. I did not put together how she was going to get that money. As a matter of fact, I live tweeted and said, how does this bitch go and get this money? Because there's, she has no money. We, we've known for, what, I think three seasons that they're flat ass broke. And I was like, how is she going to get this money? And it's not until the end of the episode that we find out how they hey, get it. And it makes said, all hey, complete sense. Baby, but, I got uh, your money. But I have but I have to, I have to admit that was that was excellent that they held that until the end. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, so let's go back to Dragonstone where Tyrion is talking to Danny, I guess, right? Isis. Yeah, she she's try, he she uh, Tyrion has already spoken to uh, John and and basically kind of said, hey man, you know what what are you after? What do you want and everything? And finally, Tyrion is actually trying to help John get what he wants and and convey what he <laughs> wants um, because he was not doing a very good job telling Danny uh, what you know what he needed. So I thought it was very um, 
it, I felt like it was finally Tyrion helping John out, which I felt like he was supposed to do that at the very beginning, and he didn't do a very good job of that. Sarah, um, what, so, was, what, what was his line to her? Um, do something by by giving him nothing. Yeah. By, by doing by doing nothing at all, or something like that. It was pretty clever. Do you know what's nice to see? It's nice to see Tyrion get pulled back up a bit because I feel that ever since he left Westeros and went to Essos and Arya suffered from the same thing, he's become less than almost less interesting or less engaging or he's had less interesting dialogue. Like we had a few awkward moments last year when he was attempting to talk to Missande and Grey Worm. Mm-hmm. And last episode, last week, he was just kind of there. So I really, really enjoyed seeing Tyrion brought to the forefront again this week and have some really strong scenes, not just with Daenerys, but with Jon, and have a chance to really showcase what he's best at doing once again, which is talking. Yep, and he he was full-on Hand of the Queen this episode, too. Like, he, we talked about it earlier, he really was the buffer between everyone else and Danny and again and I'm watching the show as we're talking and right now it's the cliff scene and he's up there talking about how Jon Snow ruins his brooding moment because Jon looks better <laughs> this great scene like that's the biggest joke ever is Jon is always brooding and and what happens Tyrion wants to brood and Jon Snow ruins it for him and then <laughs> basically Tyrion plays I don't I guess the father figure of this entire episode as well because he's like you know, maybe you really are a dumb northerner. Ask me what you want, and I'll make it happen. When you want dragon glass, then I'll make dragon glass happen. So, I mean, that, that's really, really, really – Tyrion, Peter Dinklage really, really shined through in this episode, and I was glad for that. He did. I did enjoy um, Daenerys, though, calling him out on the fact that he's always saying, a wise man once told me. Uh, just to present his own knowledge because he's done it quite a few times throughout <laughs> the season. So it was nice for somebody to finally say, I know you're bullshitting me. I know you've, you've come up with that. His and uh, Peter Dinklage and Amelia Clark's dialogue has gotten so much better since they first met in season five. Yeah. Like it is I just thought the dialogue this episode was, you know, top to bottom was amazing. It really yeah. was. Every scene. It just, I mean, that was kind of one of the things that struck me when I was watching last night. I was like, the dialogue is just really taken up in this episode. I mean, everybody, even Cersei and Amy, I mean, Euron, obviously Danny and Tyrion and John. I mean, even John was kind of, uh, you know, making some sense occasionally. So it was, it was a great episode for dialogue, for sure. Okay, so um, what, are, what are we going to next? Are we going to Winterfell, Isis? Yes, we're going to Winterfell, where Sansa surprisingly is doing a good job. God damn, so. guys! Sansa really, really nailed it this episode. First of all, she she had uh, Maester Wolken and and Bronjian Royce and Littlefinger all doing math by trying to figure out how many bushels of of grain they need and whatever. And, I mean, they really, really did – she did a great job of pointing out the fact that the leather needed to be on the breastplates. Um, Sarah, I'm going to let you carry this because this is your girl. Um, <laughs> let's, let, let's hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I, I mean, one of the things I really liked about this episode is that, I mean, back in the first few seasons, it was all about the War of Five Kings, and now it's it's queens now. It's Daenerys versus Cersei, but I mm-hmm. think up in the north, you've got another female leader who is emerging as somebody who is 
intelligent and thoughtful because what I got from her scenes is that she is considering her options. She's considering what's best for the North Mm -hmm. and she's making reasonable, rational decisions. And I think that's only going to reflect well on her in terms of her reputation amongst the Northmen. This is somebody who understands how to take care of us, which I think is going to be crucial going forward, especially if there is ever a a moment where Daenerys is brought to Winterfell and tries to assert her dominance. Also, I'd really like to know what recreational drugs Peter Baelish was on when he gave that weird-ass Matrix speech to her. What the hell was that? <laughs> it's like, oh, fight all your battles everywhere. And it, it just seemed like she was oh looking God. at him like he had two heads because where did that come from? I mean, what was he smoking where he's like, oh, this will impress Sansa now. This will make her want to sleep with me. She's just like, dude, what are you saying? This is awesome. Guys, I've been waiting to get Sarah on the podcast just for her Peter Baelish impersonation. And, and it's so bad. Uh, well, I actually but- think that, that Sansa understood somewhat what Peter was getting at, and that's that if you're going to have your own plans that you want accomplished, you have to assume that everyone at some point will be your ally, everyone at some point will be your enemy. You can't make permanent friends you can't make permanent decisions you have to be able to be flexible and just be by fighting those battles in your mind all the time you know you basically uh can be prepared for anything it's kind of like his way of saying the old trope uh expect the unexpected and then you'll never be surprised which you know is nonsense and that's like a terrible Sarah pointed peter out, baelish by the way i just want to that that, that that wasn't a peter baelish that was <laughs> an, a wise old man like that's <laughs> but i but it's nonsense just like what peter was saying was 50 percent bullshit at least but i get what he's saying that and i think sansa did too because she she listened she didn't shut him up usually when he starts saying something she doesn't care about she's gotten to where she'll shut him up or just walk away which is pretty funny mm-hmm. but um she let him finish that time which i think is um was important well cory phone it's it's nothing it's nothing new that you're not a big Sansa fan, but um see did you think she had a better episode this episode? You think that she, she played to her strengths? Uh was, yeah. she, was she a she good leader? The, she, yeah, she she's doing fine. Uh, I mean she's making smart decisions, which you know, that's a big step forward. And uh she was basically <laughs> were like, Hey, we only have so much grain and she was like, Don't eat it all and everybody's like, Oh, it's smart, you're smart. It's like, all right, great. Uh, but, it's, but yeah, I, I just, I, it was, it was good to see her being comfortable in that position. I think being back home or being back in Winterfell without obviously the looming demon that is Ramsay and having conquered him and and escaped from the the uh, Red Keep and all that stuff. You know what I mean? She, she's starting to have stuff come together and that's what john told you know Tyrion knew that she was smarter than she let on and john confirmed it saying yeah she's starting to show how smart she is <laughs> she's still learning though she's been and we talked about this last week every other stark has been out physically learning things with very kinetic learning and she, hers has been very much um I don't know, mental, right? She's right. had to overcome mental barriers that have really kept her down, and she's starting to break through those, and it's good to see because, man, 
I had my doubts for a little bit, to be honest, but that was a good episode for her. The first two episodes for Sansa weren't very good in the eyes of fans who uh, are not usually her fans. Um, and I yes. say that because we have Sarah on the podcast who loves Sansa, and we've had discussions at length about these these, these talks. But this she was a probably gr- doesn't listen to this podcast. This was then. a great. This was a great. Episode I don't blame you. Um, before we move on to Bran, but again, can we just talk about also when it comes to a great episode for Sansa? Where where's that bar at, and and how <laughs> high does Sansa have to jump to clear it? Just had to throw that Sarah, out. Sarah, I'm gonna let you answer that one. <laughs> Man. What else does she have to do? Oh, honey, I don't think you we're can, watching. You can tell. Car- I don't think you can tell Cory to go I, fuck himself if you want. That's, that's. I mean, if if Daenerys gets off on telling Jon that she's qualified to be a leader just because she survived some brutality as a woman, are we setting a different bar for her? Ooh. Oh no, I complete. I completely agree with you that w- that whole speech that Danny made was was infantile. It was stupid. It was. Yeah. I would never ever had. Uh, it was a very very bad moment as a queen. Uh, as or a queen, however, however, as a queen. But yeah. she if did we're mention going, that she if we're going to compare resumes, are we going to compare resumes between Danny and Sansa? Because and and Sansa's had a very rough, not her fault go of it. And, well, and she's just she's been she's been in a lot of bad situations and she survived, which says well, a lot about her. Sansa but, has never been exposed to the kind of issues that she was dealing with in that episode. She's always just been taught to smile and sew and sing and do what she's told. And yes, she well, suffered all this brutality, but it's not like she ever sat in on on the king's council. And yet here she is in Winterfell, leading appropriately. Making yeah, decisions Danny, that she's but, never had any training to make. And I'm Whereas, not a Danny. I'm not a Danny supporter, but Danny got sold or whatever into a marriage and was raped as well. And she has. And I'm just. I'm not. And I'm not a Danny like lover. You can ask the podcast guys here. I think she's <laughs> no, he's born. Not. He's not. But she. She certainly has a more accomplished resume in this six seasons than Sansa does. But that doesn't mean that Sansa isn't as smart as her or could be. I'm just saying up until now. Sansa has not been making the best decisions. She has straight up made dumb decisions when given opportunities to turn the other way. And I think that's why, and I think I actually wrote an article for Show Snob about it. Sansa's going to be faced with another decision with Littlefinger, and she is going to make the right decision, and Littlefinger is going to die. And well, it's I agree gonna, with that. It's going to be because Sansa chooses family and uh, being a Stark and everything over being powerful, and that's why she looks up to Cersei, but she doesn't want to be Cersei. She has yeah, I, admiration for that, and I think it's it's all going to build her character. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know how much harder the episodes have to try to show you that she is on Team Stark. I mean, she's rebuffed Peter three times in a row now. She just flat out insults him when he tries to slither up to her, and her whole problem with John leaving was out of concern for his safety and. Now she's making decisions to benefit the North. So I, I really don't know what else they can do to prove to her defectors that she's she is on Team Stark and she is doing her best and she's not just looking for power for the sake of having power. I think she's learned from the people she's met before that that's not a good way to go. And I agree with you, Sarah, because I mean, it's, as soon as she was as soon as she was married to to 
um, to the Boltons uh, yeah. or sent off to the Boltons. I and and the things that happened to her, I sincerely believe that she, you know, that was a huge turning point for her to say, okay, this this it, I I I need to be back with my family. I need to get out of this situation. I'm, I've made horrible decisions and, and trusted the wrong people. Yeah. And so I feel like for, for me as a viewer, a TV only watcher, you know, uh, unsullied, if you will, uh, that was a huge turning point for Sansa and her, because, you know, they all try to play up this, oh, dark Sansa and everything when she changed her hair and she was with Littlefinger and blah, blah, blah. And she was running with him, um, you know, they they really played it up, and then for her to end up in the hands of the Boltons uh, was a slap in the face to the fans who really wanted that. Yeah. So it was like, okay, here goes Sansa making another freaking bad decision. Um, She's and, already and, said you know, it best in the trailer. You know, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives, and that's why yeah. she's going to choose family. I agree, yeah. and they set that up pretty pretty blatantly, I think, the season, which it doesn't matter. They could straight telegraph it with like hidden letters in the background of scenes that Sansa will betray Littlefinger, <laughs> and it's still I don't care. I can't wait for it to happen because yeah. he his brooding and slinking and leaning has just gotten insufferable. <laughs> well, there's another thing, and Corey Smith. I want to talk to you about before we get to brand the big brand scene. Uh, Corey Smith, you noticed this, and I noticed this um, when Maester Wolken was talking about all the Raven letters that Maester Lewin kept. During his time as the Maester of Winterfell, Littlefinger got the surprised look in his face, and he looked back at Wolken like, whoop. So there are a couple things to be interpreted from this. One, there's a letter that that Littlefinger knows is there, and he can use against one of the Starks, primarily Sansa. Maybe the letter she wrote from King's Landing to to her family to give up, come to King's Landing and bend the knee to save to save Ned Stark in season one. Or there's a letter in there about Peter Baelish. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think it's probably the letter that Sansa wrote um, to Rob back in season one, kind of urging him to bend the knee to Cersei. Um, I think that, and it, I think we get evidence by that. And, you know, right after that, when he, gives that speech to Sansa that Sarah was talking about where he's talking about everybody's your enemy, everybody's your friend, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's realizing like, okay, well that might be useful because I could get maybe something on Sansa if I could get a hold of that letter. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably what it is. He's trying to maybe get some insurance cause he's seen, you know, Sansa's kind of, not being, you know, too friendly with him every time he tries to come up for a, a chat as he leans against the wall. So, you know, I think he's probably going for that. And I think he was surprised to learn that there's copies of all those letters, um, you know, because that he could. I mean, even if it's not that, just having all that information in there, at the very least, he thinks, oh, man, I'll just go through there and surely I'll be able to find something useful. You know what I mean? I so. want to know. I want to know what's there. Like. Going back to season one, how many ravens did Lewin receive? And I know he he told uh, Catelyn that he destroyed the raven that came from his sister. Or did, that didn't come via raven. That came via rider, didn't it? Yeah, that was a rider. So never mind. And, and, never mind. Yeah, and then Catelyn threw that letter in the, in the fire. In the fire. Okay. So yeah. anyway, let's move on. Um, Sarah, let's talk about the, the the Stark reunion we got 
this is the second Stark reunion we've had so far in two seasons, and it wasn't as heartwarming as we had all hoped uh, because basically Bran is a host in Westworld, and he doesn't have feelings. <laughs> Can I um, – I want to say something in defense of Bran because I saw a lot of Bran's an asshole on, on Twitter. <laughs> And I just want to hark back to season six for a moment when Bran was training and he was really, really overly concerned with having visions of his family, of visions of Winterfell, of his father. And he just kept wanting to sneak away and immerse himself in that world. And then when he tried to, obviously he was transported to the White Walkers, ended up branded and Summer and Hodor died for that. Mm -hmm. So I think as well as being a host, as you say, and having to process all of this information, I think there may also be a part of Bran that realizes that he has to have 100% focus on his mission because it would be so easy once he's back home to just slide back into being at home and being Sansa's brother and being a Stark again, and he can't let his focus go. So unfortunately, Sansa didn't really get what she needed from that reunion, which was, I think, a proper sibling or a sibling who could be there for her emotionally but that really leads into what I've always believed about Sansa is that as all six seasons before this have progressed she and Arya have become more alike than they are different and the sibling that she is really meant to have that connection with at the very end of the game is Arya which hopefully we'll see next episode we hope, yes, hope to get that. I am so excited that is going to be the big one a... we're all excited for but uh, I just want one just like just throw us a little bit of a clue, like a little bit of a bone there, HBO. Just have Bran staring at the, the weirwood tree and just say something like, it doesn't look like anything to me. And I would be so happy. I would just be like, yay, Westworld is real. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, let's, let's, move, let's move away. Before we move away, though, I want to I get your opinion, Corey Thone. Uh, Bran's back in Winterfell, and the last thing we saw of, of Mira, his, his – his girlfriend, I guess, or his crush, or his just his his indentured servant, um, was that she was she was handing him off to to to, to Sansa, and that was it. I think she's gone. Uh, Is it the last we've seen of Mira? I think if we get a scene of her even in the rest of the season, it'll be her being like, "I'm going home," and she gets <laughs> on horse and goes home. <laughs> Later wheels and like just kicks it out the the front door. Can I have a horse, Winterfell. please? Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody because I mean I feel like there's still a role for her to play later on, especially uh, with her family. Obviously, Helen Reed is someone we've seen as a young man on the show. Yeah, but he's. I think that the Reeds are going to play a decent role toward the end. Um, and and I. I I think Bran, <laughs> I, I, that whole scene was really strange to me, but it it was basically an amped up version of what he did to um, Ned or whatever Dolores. What do you what do you call him? Dolores Dolores Ned. Dolores Ed. Yeah, Ed. Thank you, not Ned. Ed. Ed Toilet. Uh, sorry, there's too many Eds and Neds and and stuff, but yeah, that guy because he was like, "How do I know you're a Stark?" And then he was just like. A depressing anecdote of something. It's like, oh god, just shut up and come inside. <laughs> Did the same thing. It's like, hello, Sansa. Oh, so what's been going on? Uh, you had a good night. Ah, and it's like, oh god, that's just. Uh, Out of all the things he could have told her about, he had to remind her of that night. Yeah, yeah it's like, bad enough. What? Like, just do talk about something else. Why yeah, would you? Uh, why would you tell her what she had for breakfast? Just tell her what she had for breakfast. Hey, I'm not gonna lie. 
worst night of her life. Like, that that, that freaking so triggered asinine. me. Like, why yeah. did you do that? Why not just tell her what she had for breakfast? Well, to be honest, or, does, like, he have a, does he have a really good pool of things to pick between? I mean, said, Sansa hasn't had the best life. Well, I would have told her, like, granted, hey, remember no. when you True. had that dark hair? That was yeah. really cool. Yeah, like, exactly. I would have been like, that was really cool. Remember when hair. you slapped Robin? That was awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think got to bring up the worst night of her life. It's just Ron is I don't pretty know. tactless, though. I mean, I think yeah. he was trying to show concern, but it just it didn't come over he's very got, well. He's I mean, got an, he's got Asperger's. Remember it's last true. season where he so true. Remember when, last season when he came out of that tree and he was like, "Mira, Mira, I saw young Hodor," and Mira's just said, "Like, fuck, boy, I'm trying to like grieve for my dead brother. I don't care about your fucking visions." And Bran just like, "Mira, Mira, look at me, Mira, Mira." Like he he's not. He, he's not the best at uh, being tactful, I think. That's or... why he. That's why he doesn't show emotion anymore. Mira shot yeah. him down, and that was it. He can't <laughs> explain anything well either. He's like, he was the three-eyed raven. I'm the three-eyed raven. We're all the three-eyed raven. Why don't you just say, look, there was an old three-eyed raven, and I'm the new one. Like, why is it that fucking hard? I don't understand. Uh, here's, here's what yeah, he should have said. Is, I, I understand that John is the king of the north now, and that's all great, but I need to tell you something very important about his mother. <laughs> Instead of saying, huh. yeah, I need to talk to John, how about just throw it out there? John's a Targaryen. Boom. Well, yeah. he's like John. He's not very good at communication. I mean, remember John in Hardhome? Uh, put an arrow through his heart. Like, John, do you maybe want to lead with the fact that he was being burned to death? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's just like I, John. They're, they're not very good with true. the words. I know. I just was like, come on, dude. You could. I mean, yeah, it's hard to explain. Like, you have all-seeing powers, but like, there's a little bit better way to explain it. There was an old one. Now there's a new one. What's know, so hard it, about that? It, but... it fucked me up a bit. I like. I turned and looked at my boyfriend, and I was like, "What is this shit?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I was. De- well, I, I was, was crying. Yeah, I, I would just be like, I would be bragging about my new powers. I'd be like, yeah, and so like Thursday you ate shepherd's pie and it was fucking delicious, and I was on the road and I saw you eat it. That's what that's, that's the kind of shit I. And I would be like playing magic games. Like I'd play cards and be like, I know you're holding an ace of spades. I know you've got it, and they'd be all like blown away because I'd be using my three eyed raven powers. But exactly, <laughs> but no, he brings up the worst night of Sansa's life. So all right, yeah, way to go, ruin that reunion. Thanks. <laughs> Hashtag bad guy brand, but um, let's 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 move on now. Um, we finally got to see Jorah Mormont clear of the Westerosi eczema. He is now he's now just got like I guess burn patches all over his skin, but he's healed up now, guys. He has no more grayscale, and he's ready to go back to, into the friend zone. Like he's gonna be, he's gonna put on his best armor. He's gonna shine it up. He's gonna get a brand new horse, probably a haircut, and he's gonna ride right into the friend zone. I mean, Isis, you, you tell me about Sir Jorah. Yeah, so uh, Jorah got a clean bill of health, um, courtesy of Sam and um, what I'm calling the uh, Westeros hydrocodone cream <laughs> that he uh, ointment that he put on himself. And um, and who knew that if you read like you know the books that are in the Citadel that there might actually be a cure for grayscale. But I have to take I have to say I take issue with the fact that the um, the uh, the Maester was coming down kind of harsh 
on Sam about like, well, you know, you put us all in jeopardy. Well, what the fuck? If he put him everybody in jeopardy uh, to contract uh, grayscale, why was fucking Jorah there to begin with? Like, were you guys just sticking, you know, like picking at him with a stick or something? I mean, like, what the hell? They were why poking him with him? a stick. I mean, I just don't get it. Like, why, if they were so concerned about getting Grayscale from Jorah, well, then why did they have him there um, for all that time? Because I'm assuming that he was there for a long time. Do um, you think that if Sam got infected, he'd just run around, like, wiping his hands on people? <laughs> I would. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking you down with me, asshole. <laughs> I wa- Listen, I, I changed all poop. of your bedpans. Take some, take some grayscale in the ass. That's what yeah, I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna slather it right up your bunghole. No, I mean it's just it to me. I felt like it was that was kind of a ridiculous point. Um, I understand that you know basically. You know what Sam did was it, it was great and everything, and I'm and now I feel like you know Jorah's ready to enter the game, and my you know freaking tinfoil hat theory about grayscale being you know something that would um, you know detract the White Walkers is now just <laughs> looks like it's just basically collapsed, uh, <laughs> like like the old old man farts. Uh, it has just already collapsed. And but anyway, it was it was a good moment because Jorah now gets to go to his precious Danny. Um, and and dare I say that maybe he will meet up with his niece? Hmm. Mm, that uh, so, so that would be nice to see her reaction to her uncle, and be like, uh, cousin. Oh, she's probably gonna, or cousin, yeah. yeah. Uh, be like, uh, well, actually, you- they're cousins. If you look at their family tree, well, actually, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a feeling that uh, she's she's gonna give him her trade her best trademark uh, frown. Well, we we've talked. I think it's a great point to bring up uh, Jorah and the fact that he's a Mormon because <laughs> they have been so vital to the development of John and Danny as a family, and yes. that the whole reason that either one of them are where they are is in no small part thanks to Bear Island because you have John in the north with um, Gior, Gior, yeah, I knew it would start with a J. With Gior, Eor, and he's got his sword now, long claw, whatever it's called. And you know, he was mentored and trained by a Mormont. And then in the east, obviously, uh, Jorah was with Danny and protected her and was part of her inner circle forever until you know his past caught up with him, and then. With John in the Battle of the Bastards, it was uh, Liana, right? Yep. Liana Mormont. And she was one of the first families to join up with John and to keep her oath. And it was actually in the last scene, if you remember, John was holding a a Mormont shield that protected him from Ramsey's arrows. Yep, and And she's the one who declared him a king. Yeah, and she was the first one to declare him king. Thank you. So you got me to the point. So the point is, I, I definitely think that Jorah has got a huge part left to play in this. If for no other reason for Danny than he has actual battle experience, because now especially that that uh, the Greyjoys are gone, uh, there Tyrion doesn't know what the hell he's doing when it comes to planning a battle and to out to out executing Cersei and her cadre of warriors right like they're right. smarter and have done this more in westeros because we all thought oh they're going to take castle rock isn't that a cool thing mm, not really not, they don't really, not really no <laughs> and and it was a huge miscalculation so jorah having 
under like having like Westerosi battle knowledge is going to be huge for her. So I think it's interesting that that he did survive thanks to Sam, who was sent there by a Mormon. So Sam is the uh, best character in Game of Thrones. That's it. That's all I'm gonna say. He knows Sir everything. Pants. He knows everything. He's um, a renaissance man. He is a renaissance man. Uh, I want to say before we leave uh, the Citadel, um, I, my wife has a theory about those parchments that uh, Maester Ebros or whatever his name is, ma- is making Sam go through. She believes that either the solution to the White Walkers is in that paper or uh, Rhaegar – Rhaegar's annulment to his wife and marriage to Lyanna Stark is in those papers, and you'll find that. Yeah, I, yeah that I, was my first reaction when I saw Something him. important. Something, something important. important. Whatever, whatever it ends up being, I, I did think something. Because he said they're rotting, so they've been there for a long time, and nobody's been going through them. So, so yeah, I figure something important's in there. So What if it's all just recipes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for pie. Sam seems to be on a on a hot streak of just like pulling gold nuggets out of rivers of shit. So I feel like he's going to find something really important in there. Literal rivers of shit. We're gonna we're gonna get a montage of him flipping through shitty old books. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I kind of miss Gilly. Uh, Just just putting it out there. I mean, just a little flash of her just to find out how she's doing would be awesome. Um, She's gonna be the one to find it. She'd be like, and what is this? Rahegal, <laughs> and that'll be it. Right. Yeah, but um, are we on to the last to the last scene where? No, 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 no. What are we we've missing? still got Tyrion. Tyrion, well, Tyrion and Casterly Rock. Tyrion tells Danny about, and you use this, and I swear to God, it's my favorite new scene. The ho hole at Casterly Rock. That's amazing, by the way. Where he he snuck in his hose, and so that's where that's where they are now. This big hole in the side of Casterly Rock, where the sewer tunnels lead up into the room. And did you guys catch that when Grey Worm and them guys went up to the trap door, that there was like a bedroom there? And I I, I was like, that's got to be Tyrion's old bedroom. It's but, like the grotto at the Playboy Mansion, <laughs> <laughs> except with a lot more shit. Yeah, <laughs> a lot more human feces waiting around the water. But um, I don't know if that was Tyrion's like proper bedroom. I think he just had that you know bed put down there for getting to business. It's his ho hole. Um, it's his for his for his ho hole. Yeah. <laughs> say that five times fast. Oh yeah, uh, Corey Corey um, Thone. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up, and I'm so surprised it was Corey Thone that brought it up. Dan, those Corys. Was it Corey Smith? No, oh, you, no. you guys confuse me. Corey's brought okay, up Tanny, it's, it's, really, it's easy. Tanny it's easy Tyrion. to tell us apart. I'm the smart one. And <laughs> I'm, the, Corey, I'm the one who's still alive, though. That's yes, true. Okay, okay. So whatever. You're, you're the yeah. You're, so you're we the we jump. almost we almost skipped over the part where Danny and Tyrion uh, a were talking in the king's chess room, whatever the hell that place is called, uh, where uh, Tyrion brings up. The line Davos said about being stabbed in the heart, or I guess Danny brings it up about John getting stabbed in the heart, and then telling, basically telling Davos to shut up. I'm like, what did the, what did that mean? I wonder. And they were like, oh, it's all just fantasy. And I'm like, dude, why hasn't John just ripped his shirt open Hulk Hogan style and been like, <laughs> like I was a pincushion and I got brought back to life, and you're gonna sit there and talk to me about destiny? But it's, 
I don't know. But he, he hasn't been to CrossFit in a while. He's embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> he's but always he's embarrassed. Yeah. I would lick the sweat off those freaking abs. Oh, my God. Your cinnamon <laughs> roll. Your precious little cinnamon so, roll. Out of that I, scene, though, also, and this is what Smith is going to bring up, is it's interesting to see – you know, the the legend of Jon Snow growing, right? Because people have talked, you know, Ramsey's like, I've heard you're the greatest fight to the North ever seen and all that stuff. So <laughs> that Jon's got this legend building around him, and it doesn't even include the fact that he's literally Jesus. So I don't <laughs> I don't know like I don't know he got he got Caesared and then came back and nobody's even talking about that. But also that scene, Smith, this is what you and I were talking about in the chat. It was the scene where J- or Tyrion convinces Danny to let John and the the Northmen dig for Dragonglass, which was pretty important. Well, that's what Sarah and I talked about: is that he convinced her to let him do nothing by doing nothing by doing something by doing nothing. I know he said it a bunch of times, and it was pretty cool. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then she offers John all the men and resources he he needs to dig up the Dragonglass, which is pretty cool. Of her, uh, you know, she only did that because of Tyrion. Obviously, she didn't pitch. And I think the record. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. You know, John said to her, "Oh, do you believe me about these? You know, white walkers and Daenerys? Like, clearly, doesn't." I'm like, "Bitch, you can walk through fire, and (laughs) gave birth to three dragons, and you don't believe in some ice zombies because it doesn't suit your needs. I mean, check yourself." I I was totally gonna say the exact same thing, Sarah. I was like, (laughs) she. This this girl has the audacity. I mean, poor poor. You know. John, he just wants to be believed at the same time. I mean, he wants the, the product, but he also wants me to believe. And this bitch is like, mm, yeah, okay, I'll give you what you want, but don't expect me to believe you. I'm like, girl, you got some issues. Um, and he, you know, John's like, okay, well, I'm going to take what I need and, and go from there. But I, I feel like Danny definitely, um, for me, there was like, everybody was expecting this huge chemistry between John and Danny. I mean, it's been, this this meeting has been hyped up for yeah. years and years and years. And everybody's like, oh my God, the chemistry is going to be off the charts, blah, 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 and everything. And to be honest, I did not feel that. I did not get that impression. I don't know right. if anybody else did. But for me, there was like very little care um uh, chemistry there and it was probably because in the very beginning danny was acting like a bitch but that's just yeah. my opinion let's not can i also let's... ask um why were so many of the characters at dragonstone standing on the edges of cliffs when there are three dragons swooping down on people <laughs> cinematic effect seemed like, a, like a poor choice like john melisandra and and Tyrion. i mean at any point drogon could just be an asshole and and swoop down and they're all just like i'll just hang out on the edge of this cliff this is safe and we've already established drogon is an asshole <laughs> yes i just uh, i i don't know like as far as it, it did strike me as odd that nobody realizes john is is the undead because you gotta figure how many people are castle black all the wildlings you know like how is that tale not spread through the north you know what i mean well it's clear that he doesn't want people talking about it well right but i i don't know that he doesn't necessarily want people talking about it to me it was more of a hey i'm gonna go meet this person i've never met i'm gonna tell her there's ice zombies the the undead are coming and that i'm also one of the undead so i think he kind of was just drawing the line at like okay there's almost only so much shit somebody's gonna believe at one given time and i 
You know what I mean? And so I think he was just kind of like, all right, look, I'm going to, you know, pace myself as far as revealing all this crazy shit that's going on. And, and I don't think that it, I mean, to me at first, Danny was definitely not believing, but I think it, at least to me in that, that second scene where they meet out on the cliff, Danny wasn't necessarily believing John, but she, she did make the line of, you know, there weren't dragons a while ago and now there are. So maybe I should at yeah. least entertain the thought that John's telling the truth. You know what I, I mean? I find it stranger that Melisandre didn't tell them that she brought him back to life. That yeah. was really weird to me. And I kind of feel yeah. like she, she left that to John. Like that's John's story to tell. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think she necessarily even still believes what happened. That she did completely. it. Yeah, like, I think she still is kind of, like, it happened, but she can't really explain it, and so I don't know that she wants to just go around and, and, and she might be, you know, calculating too, like, hey, meet with Jon Snow, he, he was dead, and now he's alive, and he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> well, nobody's like, gonna believe her if she says, I brought a guy back to life, they're just not gonna believe her, you're not right. gonna hear a word of mouth. Yeah, so I think Melisandre's not this, like, I think she's kind of calculating, the best way to let that information come out and and john the same thing i think john's like well you know they're not going to believe all this shit like let's just you know baby steps let's get them to believe in the undead and then later on if i trust this person um you know i can reveal that i'm actually not alive or am alive or whatever well, it's going to come is, back up so. because for danny to question, it'll, yeah it'll come out it'll for, da- come for out. danny to question the dagger and the heart thing that's going to come back up eventually but exactly. um we, we kind of we kind of glossed over the fact that the unsullied took casterly rock and there wasn't a lot of lannister soldiers there um they killed everybody and then gray worm figures out that there is there's your own great joy ship Taking Littlefinger's good old teleporter, warping over to um, Castle Rock and de- destroying the Unsullied fleet. So get ready to worry about Grey Worm. He may not make it out of the next episode. God, I hope that's not true. But before we go, I want to talk about Lady Olena and the fact that we lost the baddest ass bitch in the entire show. She was a badass boss, and I'm sad that Diana Rigg is no longer part of the show because the Queen of Thorns laid it down better than anybody else did when it came to Cersei, when it came to Tywin Lannister. She was amazing. Amazing, Isis, you got some thoughts on this. Yeah, I absolutely love the back and forth between Jamie and Elena. She took that po- poison like a boss-ass bitch. She drank every bite. She, she, I mean, every drop. Like if she had a dribble, she was like, "Hold on, let me get that too," because I don't want to, you know, lose. Good, good, um, good, good, good. Yeah, she, she was, she was actually, she was drinking that wine like I was last night. Anyway, um, and and I just found her back and forth with Jamie and her being so honest, which she's always been very honest. Um, but it, I think this is probably one of the first scenes that we've ever seen with just the two of them together, and the back and forth was. Absolutely tremendous. Um, this was a really good night for Jamie, for the actor um, who plays Jamie, because he doesn't really get a lot of these kind of we just moments. Say NC unless, <laughs> unless it's, you know, with Cersei and everything. And I felt like this was a really good, you know, back and forth between the two. And then to hit him with the, you know, 
I just want Cersei to know that I was the one who killed her son is the final jab in the heart. And I'm not going to lie. Part of me thought that, you know, Jamie was just going to go ahead and say, fuck this. I'm not going to wait for the poison. I'm just going to cut your head off. Um, but he didn't. He walked out. And um, and again, that was another moment that I was very shocked about. Oh, this is where Cersei is going to get the money. She's getting it from Highgarden. She's getting it from the Tyrells. This makes sense. Now um, Cersei is flush again. So uh, it really strategically made all the sense in the world. And I am so surprised that Tyrion did not see this coming because this seems like something that Tyrion would have totally, you know, captured. So I, I thought that was really um, a, a defining moment. Lady Olena has been nothing but amazing on the series. I'm really sad to see her go. Sarah, what did what did Olena say about Joffrey after she drank the poison? What'd she call him? Uh, she called him a cunt. <laughs> you I did that on purpose. Your, I wanted I to hear it with to... your accent, that's all. <laughs> He's going to make that his ringtone now. Yep. No, no problem. Um, the Irish say cunt like nobody else. Uh, I, You know what I really liked about that scene? What I really liked about that scene is that in the books, we find a fracture within Cersei and Jamie's relationship based on a conversation that Jamie has with Tyrion when he frees him, where they part on bad terms, but Tyrion tells Jamie that Cersei's been fucking a bunch of other people. And Jamie's never had a conversation about Cersei like that with anybody else where somebody actually sits him down and says she's bad news. And I feel like Olena wasn't even trying to fuck with the relationship. I think she was genuinely saying, like, I feel for you. This is a terrible situation you're in. So because I believe this fracture is coming between Jamie and Cersei, I feel like that conversation was necessary. Somebody needed to say this to him. He needed to to have that hammered into his head. As he said himself, his father always said he was a slow learner. So (laughs) I think that is going to be vital, and I think that is going to, whether he likes it or not, start to inform his decisions as this series goes on. I don't see him ending this series by her side. I see him cracking and leaving her. Um, I think Brienne is a big factor in that, but I think this is going to be vital. Nobody has ever sat Jamie down and told him, your girlfriend is shit and you can do better, which is essentially what Elena did. That's true, and I love that Elena, after she drank the poison, knowing she was going to die, said, it's just going to be painful, and he's like, no, it's going to be quick, no pain, and she's like, good, I didn't want to have to claw my claw out my throat, turn purple, <laughs> and I'm like, damn, Elena, one last jab. Yeah, Corey Smith, you had something to say. Well, I think to back to Isis's point about Tyrion not seeing this whole thing coming. I think that that probably lies in the fact that Tyrion thought that Cersei wasn't going to see his plan in coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tyrion thought he had the, you know, the ultimate sneak around and da, da, da. And, and so he, he couldn't contemplate that someone had countered his move before he even made it. Um, and I think that's probably why they were able to pull the whole thing off. Um, I did. I don't think we brought up the fact that the Tarleys joined Jamie in in sacking. High that's right. Guys. We saw Randall and Dick on uh, with yes. Jamie, <laughs> and we and saw Bron. Bron's we first episode. Bron. Yeah. Saw, saw my saw my homie Bron for the first time. We didn't have to wait six episodes into this season like we did last uh, season. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, Elena definitely, she got her the last laugh, even though she was the one that was, was killed. Um, and I agree with Sarah. I think that this, that their conversation is kind of going to be another crack in the foundation of, of Jamie and Cersei's relationship. Um, you know, you could see it on his face that, that he kind of really understood a little bit what, like, Olena was hitting too close to home. Like his point, her points were really, um, you know, hitting home with with Jamie. So I liked the fact I liked that it wasn't just you know her, you know, spouting off. She was actually talking some sense into him, and also being a you know a boss bitch like y'all are saying at the same time. So well, um, and I just one point too is that I f- have a feeling that if uh, Jamie does go back and tell Cersei, hey, it was really. Lady Olena, who killed our son. That exonerates Cersei's, Tyrion and Sansa. Yeah, exactly. She's okay. going to be like, "Oh, well, I don't care anyway." Yes. And I think again, that's going to be another, yes. you know, another inkling in Jamie's head of like, this lady has really, you know, and she's not she doing this care. for, she's not doing this to to gain, you know, uh, vengeance over her, the death of her child. She's doing this because she's fucking crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I had, we had this. I had this conversation with my wife earlier, and she was asking, "Well, is you know Jamie going to go back and tell Cersei?" I'm like, "Yeah, he is, but Cersei's not going to care. Cersei's just going to be like, no, Tyrion was in on it as well, or Tyrion, you know, et cetera, et cetera." But yeah, just like what you said, you know, she's gonna, he's going to as Jamie to see Cersei's true colors. Yeah. The murders that- of. The murders of both of her children have been avenged this episode, and it's not going to satiate her. It's not going to stop her, and I think that's going to be another factor. Good point. I don't think, and I also don't think that Jamie's going to come back and just tell her immediately either. I think he's going to try to figure out how to play that because he's smarter than people I mean, give him credit for. Yeah, and yes. plus Cersei is just she's so angry at everything, and he can tell. And it's like just coming in and, and saying something like that would not go over well. And also narratively. It's probably going to be like, I don't know, there's going to be a moment where Cersei's acting crazy and she's like, we have to go kill Tyrion because he killed, he killed Joffrey, he killed your son. And then he's like, actually, he didn't. And and then we're going to get what you guys are talking about where, um, you know, then she's like, well, that doesn't matter because I still want to kill him anyway. And that's going to be like a huge catalyst for jamie and in, in his opinion of cersei and everything because well, I, I think you guys are right i just don't think it happens quite as quickly like i don't think he's gonna do what Bran should have done where he gets back and he's like, where's cersei i've got news like i don't <laughs> think he's gonna run in and do that so well i don't think uh, well you're you're absolutely right on the point i don't think we're gonna get a reveal from jamie to cersei anytime soon because the next episode uh the spoils of war is going to basically should be should have been called the Field of Fire 2.0. Um, we believe that Danny's had enough of this shit. She's tired of losing, and she's about to unleash the dragon. Um, she's tired of listening to Tyrion. She's tired which, of listening to Tyrion's. Uh, I think Elena's gonna like post grave. She's still gonna be driving the plot, <laughs> you know, because she told Danny stop listening to clever men. Be the dragon. Right, exactly. And now that all our allies are being have been eliminated by listening to clever men like Tyrion, I think yeah, she's he's, she's going to go apeshit. In the in the span of two episodes, she lost the the Dorn the Dornish, she lost the Greyjoys, 
most of the Greyjoys and most of the Dornish. She lost uh, Olena Tyrell, so, and we don't know the fate of Grey Worm. And the Unsullied. The Whoa, Unsullied. Yeah. The Unsullied are trapped at Casterly Rock. So, Has she lost her entire fleet now? That's what I'm wondering. That's a that's a really good really good question. Like uh, the entire fleet was sent out one one to High Garden and one or one to Casterly Rock and one to uh, Dorne to ferry them back to King's Landing. So they've all been smashed. Euron Greyjoy well, has laid waste to everything. Well, Varys did mention when they when they talked in the thing they talked about their remaining ships. Yeah. So I think they have some, but I, I mean not enough to be called a fleet. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably yeah. not. And exactly. So the next episode is going to be a pretty badass episode. Hopefully, um, spoils of war. We're going to see Drogon unleashed, and we're going to see uh, a lot of people being burned. And I can't wait for that. Um, Sarah, I want to thank you for joining us all the way from England with your amazing Irish accent. Uh, <laughs> once again, if you want, tell people where they can find you on Twitter so they can stalk you. Uh, yeah, it's Juicy Capucci. There you go. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at house underscore razor. Corey Thone can be found at Corey Thone, right, Corey Thone? Yes. That's pretty simple. Isis, where can they find you? They can find me at I-J-A-M-E-L-T-O-N. And you can also find me live tweeting Game of Thrones every Sunday. And she's and a fun follow, guys. even though Corey Smith won't retweet her because he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and Corey Smith, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I have the the Danny name of the group. I'm at Courtside Corey, um, not just at Corey. Um, so yeah, at Courtside Corey. All right. Why uh, did he have to make that so fucking confusing? <laughs> well, just put an underscore in your name, man. Come on. Um, <laughs> Listen, guys, follow the, the uh, Wick Twitter account during the show if you want to listen to live tweets or listen to watch live tweets or follow Isis. She's a great follow. Um, you can also check out Show Snob. That's my site. We like to plug in a lot of fun things during the show as well. So you give us a follow there. And as always, you can find Take the Black on iTunes and on our new platform, Blog Talk Radio. This post will be up on Tuesday afternoon, so make sure you follow us, like us, subscribe. Um, thanks for listening. Make sure if you have any questions for next episode, leave them in the comments or on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll give you a shout-out on air next week. Once again, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Everybody, thanks for listening. Vlar Magulis. <laughs>